0: we are in 2022 can you believe it personally i'm not quite sure what time really means anymore um i some days feel like months and some weeks feel like an hour so (laughs) but we are in 2022 and in our country 2022 is an election year i'm sure that that is lost on basically no one (laughs) and 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 i was reminded of this on the radio this week as sort of you know there's sort of a uh, um, there was an announcement that basically was like well we're officially in an election year and i'm like but elections aren't until november (laughs) so that means we have 11 months of being in an election year (laughs) and one of the things actually that happened this week speaking of election years is that in my email i got an announcement of someone running for mayor and it was a weird thing it was like it was i was like oh like i'm getting this like very like a seemingly important declaration over email I'm sure this person would have rather have done this in person in some way, but it's COVID. What can you say? But I got this announcement that this person mayor, is a person who's been in elected office before. They're running in for mayor in San Leandro. They've been in elected office before. And so they were uh, sort of talking about their vision and kind of what they would want to do if they were mayor and all their previous accomplishments, which were many. And, and it reminded me of this morning's passage a bit because in some way, if I think Jesus wanted to sort of run for public office, if you will, I think that Luke 4 is probably kind of his stump speech. I think that Luke 4, essentially is Jesus's policy platform. And it made me wonder, like, what is this about? How do we get to this moment? Um, I will spoil, I won't spoil much for you, although you can spoil it for yourself. Um, Linda read the first half of Luke 4. There is a second half of Luke 4, friends. And I just want to let you know that at the end of Jesus's stump speech, they tried to kill him. So, (laughs) I don't know if this was a successful like, you know, kind of coming out party for Jesus. Um, Maybe it was, Um, but it is that to some extent and I wanna dive into it. But the way I wanna dive into it is I wanna know how we got to this point. I wanna know kind of, and I wanna explore a little bit of of how we get to this point where Jesus makes this declaration, okay? And in order to do that, we are going to follow along with one of the central themes of the book of Luke. And that is uh, the question, who slash what is the Holy Spirit? Who slash what is the Holy Spirit? Because if you read Luke one through four, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Holy Spirit shows up from the beginning um, and kind of has this continued presence in a way that basically no other book of the Bible does, right? Luke and Acts, uh, which are, you know, written by, you know, scholars think the same person, are sort of uh, have this intense theme of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is kind of track the Holy Spirit and, um, And then we'll get to Luke four, and then we're going to talk about this stump speech that Jesus gives. And I will tell you personally that this stump speech, uh, excites me. It confuses me, it frustrates me and it confounds me. So let us go on a journey and I'm going to make it quick because we can't, um, the spirit of God shows up in the old testament at something that incites and uh, excites and brings about prophetic utterance it is essentially this presence this creative presence that brings about new things a shift a turning um it is related to the word breath right when you often see the word breath you are seeing the word spirit as well um and then here comes Luke and Luke seems to think that the Holy Spirit is everywhere, right? Um, first the, you know, an angel tells Zechariah, your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's born. Okay. Then Mary asks, how am I going to get pregnant in this way? The angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? then it happens and mary and elizabeth meet and the babies have start talking to each other inside the womb and elizabeth is filled with the holy spirit and then finally when zechariah can speak <laughs> he opens his mouth filled with the holy spirit and he sings he sings this prophetic declaration that by the way elizabeth and mary already proclaimed so it's old news but he says it anyway um, Soon after, they go to the temple to kind of pay their, you know, do their kind of religious, spiritual kind of ceremony around this new baby being born. And there's two prophets, there's Simeon and there's Anna who filled with the spirit declare that the Messiah is here and it's this baby. (laughs) Okay. And then we've got John the Baptist who, by the way, already filled with the spirit before he was born and he's out here a preaching a particular message and b saying that when the messiah comes he's going to baptize you with the holy spirit and fire that sounds intense and then jesus and jesus has these three particular moments of encountering the spirit number one is jesus's baptism when the spirit comes down bodily it says, like a dove, along with this declaration, this is my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Number two, almost immediately after that moment, the Spirit leads Jesus into the desert where Jesus is tempted by the devil after having fasted for 40 days. And then we get this moment, Jesus comes out of the desert filled with the power of the Spirit, starts going into Galilee. He comes from the wilderness to the towns, to the villages, starts telling people the story of God, and they are intrigued. It says in Luke that he is filled with the Spirit, that the Spirit is with him as he is telling this story, preaching this message, and then he goes home. He goes home, and at home, in his home synagogue, he walks up, they hand him the Isaiah scroll. It's probably a really big scroll because Isaiah is actually three books and usually the scrolls had, were like, you know, it's like a few books on a scroll, but it's Isaiah. So he's like, yeah. actually probably like this. And there he goes and he finds this and he reads. He finds Isaiah 61 with a little interrupted line from Isaiah 58 that we're going to talk about. And he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So the Spirit has been starting something, friends. The Spirit has been instigating. And there are some hints as to this thing that the Spirit is starting and instigating and creating. First, it is a thing that has some age diversity. Remember, Elizabeth is old and barren, and Mary is young okay (laughs) somehow both of them are hip to what's happening here the spirit is starting something that fundamentally will not be anchored to patriarchy because Zechariah is silent and cannot speak of this thing meanwhile Mary and Elizabeth will and do This is a movement that has in their day both men and women prophets who understand what's happening before anything happens. Simeon and Anna both prophesy immediately about this baby, knowing who it is because of the Spirit. And this is a movement that in order to prepare ourselves for it, we need to let go of the logic of the empire. John the Baptist in Luke is telling people, you need to be generous, you need to give, you need to not be violently stingy, not be um, sort of, you know, I think the other words were for soldiers in which he was saying basically like, be happy with your pay and don't abuse people. (laughs) And then Jesus, the spirit is instigating, starting something. And then we get to Jesus. And Jesus walks into his home temple. And he begins to read, and perhaps give us a sense of what is being started. What is this movement? And if you want any hint that this is a movement that the Spirit is doing to instigate some things, look no further than the first line. It says, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because um, he has anointed me to bring good news, to proclaim good news to the poor. I want to remind all of you that when you see those words, good news, oh, you should just rub your hands and know that Jesus is starting something clearly adversarial to the empire. You see, every empire declaration was known as good news. <laughs> Everything that Caesar said was known as good news. This, when Caesar said something, it was good news to the empire. And let's remind ourselves that 95% of the wealth and basically happiness of the empire was held by 2% of the people. So when the emperor gave good news, it was good news for the aristocracy. It was good news for those in power. It was good news for those in the center. When Jesus gives good news, it is for the poor. Hmm. That's a little bit different. (laughs) This is an adversarial thing that the Spirit is starting. This is an adversarial thing that Jesus is proclaiming. This excites me, friends. I am excited about Jesus being adversarial because I am tired of seeing people worthy of love and worthy of dignity being treated like less than the image of God. I am tired of politicians using the plight of unhoused people to prop up their agendas. I am tired of income inequality that can be fixed if people would just stop going to space. I am tired. So, when Jesus is starting something like this, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm intrigued. Then Jesus says something, and we get a little more excited and then confused. He says, I am sent here by the Spirit anointed by the Spirit to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. On one hand, I feel like Jesus recognizes that we, and maybe them as well, were in a system that just decided that if you didn't belong, then we just put you in jail. Right? Back then, a lot of the jails were actually debtors' jails, and these debtors' jails were designed for people who could not pay their debts. And so part of what we're seeing here is an indictment on an economic system that's also carceral, on an economic system that also chooses to shut people out and lock them up for not being able to participate. And so once again, I'm intrigued, okay, okay, But then he has this line recovery of sight to the blind. And then I get a little bit irked. I get a little bit irked because of the following. About 10 years ago, I discovered that I had been living my whole life with ADD. My whole life. It was a a slow discovery. It was made over the course of months, and it was made in consultation with three psychologists and a psychiatrist and a series of very surprising conversations with my mother. And I remember in that moment, sort of steeped in uh, a faith tradition that believed that the only way people could be well is to be free of their infirmities that i needed to pray to be healed of my add and i did that for about a couple weeks and then i started reading about all the ways that add is basically a gift to the world and then i thought i'm gonna stop praying for my own healing I'm glad it only lasted a couple weeks because I know that for folks, other folks I've connected to with that have ADD, that they've prayed this prayer for decades. Friends, I am a sighted person. I am a person that has the ability to physically see with my eyes. And I read this line and I have the reflection on my own life. And the circumstances certainly are different. But my reflections go something like this, well, Jesus, what if people don't need recovery of sight? What if they just need to know that they belong? (laughs) What if society has already been arranged in a way to exclude them? Not because they're blind, but because society is arranged this way. It is not the fault of the blind person that things are happening like this, that they don't have a place, that they don't have a um, sort of care, that they don't get to care for others. That's not the fault of the blind person. Why does there need to be recovery of sight for the blind? And that frustration is balanced by the fact that these folks are living in a primarily agrarian society in which participation in this society requires some sense of able-bodiedness. And then I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. What I do know is that there is something that Jesus sees here about the way society is organized around folks with disability and that it's not okay. I want to make it clear that it's not okay because the society is violent. It is not the fault of those who are differently abled. It is not the fault of those who are neurodivergent. It is the fault of those who have the power and ability to organize things such that there would be mutual aid and there would be mutual care and refuse to do so. And so I wonder, Jesus, what does this mean? what kind of thing are you building i hope you are not planning to build a community jesus that would demonize and blame those with different abilities and those with neurodivergence i hope and then at the end of this um at the end of this section if you will of Jesus's some speech he says um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor folks wherever you are i just want you to say the words jubilee just say jubilee and now i'm upset because essentially jesus is saying that not only is he coming to instigate, by the Spirit, instigate a movement that operates against the empire that demonizes the poor? Not only is he come to start a movement that sets people free, and we hope, but we don't know, include those of us with different abilities and neurodivergence in a way that is caring and mutual, mutually caring, but now Jesus wants to basically set the reset button entirely. The jubilee mechanism in the life of the people of God is the reset button. It is the reset button. It is fundamentally what the Jews had given to them by God in order to reset. You see, every 50 years, folks would be able to go to their homes. Folks would be able to go to their ancestral lands and know that this is where you belong. You know, there might've been circumstances where folks had to sell off some things and they might've ended up in debt because there's blight and there's drought and there's different scenarios, but there was always a reset button. There was always an opportunity to go home. The Jubilee mechanism is also related to Sabbath. This is fundamentally a reset button to give rest for all. And it is also primarily believed that it never got practiced. That it never happened. That they were given this command. Every 50 years, you press the reset button, everyone gets to go home. There is no such thing as generational poverty. And yet, it was never practiced. And now I'm frustrated because I'm like, Jesus, you know this you know these people didn't do this how is it they're gonna do it now (laughs) what makes you think they're gonna do it now i don't understand jesus because now is not like then you know, a thousand years ago, you gave this command for these people to have these parcels of land and they were mapped out and it was all good. And what is Jubilee now? Because they, they're, they're, they're subjects, they're not even citizens. They're subjects of the Roman Empire and they don't have anything. What is Jubilee? What is this reset? Where are we supposed to find it? And so after all of that as I look at what it seems like Jesus might be up to I have a lot of mixed feelings. I'm excited. I'm confused. I'm a bit hopeful and I'm also confounded. And for the most part I think that All of that is okay. (laughs) Friends, I am not here to try and tie up Jesus's stump speech in some bow so that you could feel better about it. So that we can feel better about it. What I am here to tell you is that Jesus has some lofty plans. Some big vision. Empowered by the Spirit. And the spirit is starting something particular. And if I look at the thing that the spirit is starting, if I look at the way that the young and old get to be a part of it, if I look at the way that patriarchy doesn't get to be a part of it, if I look at the way that there's gender diversity, and I look at the way that we are invited out of the empire, I'm intrigued. And I'm also desperate. I need to see that. I wanna see that. And the last question I ask myself um, as I look at this stump speech is, well, Jesus, can I trust you to do this? Can I trust you to do this? Can I trust you to bring about the things that you are saying? And again, as I close, I want to follow the spirit and I want to follow the spirit backwards a little bit because I said, Jesus had three encounters with the spirit. This was the third one, at least up until this point, the other two seem interesting to me because I am inclined to trust Jesus because Jesus knows that Jesus is loved. I am inclined to trust Jesus because Jesus knows that Jesus is loved. And I don't know about you, but my favorite people to be around are people that know they are loved. There is a security. There is an embrace. There is a freedom when I am around people that know that they are loved. Oftentimes, uh, those people are about double my age and say whatever they want some of them are gathered on this gathering today (laughs) i am inclined to trust jesus because jesus knows he is loved i am also inclined to trust jesus because the spirit led him into the wilderness where he was given three distinct opportunities to not do this (laughs) He was given three opportunities to basically walk away to choose to use his powers as some sort of cheap trick to choose to use his abilities to prove himself as as, as worthy, to choose to choose allegiance to one who seemed to to, to have power. And Jesus said no. I am inclined to trust Jesus because of the way that the spirit has moved and because of the thing that the spirit seems to be instigating. And friends, that is what I submit to us this morning. The spirit is starting something. The spirit is instigating something, has been doing so for a long time. And I would suggest is still doing that today. It is a thing that is adversarial. It is a thing that is confusing. It is a thing that causes me tension. It is a thing that is confounding because I sometimes don't actually believe that God can do it. And I wonder as the spirit is starting that and continuing that work, what that looks like around you and in you. I wonder if you can recognize the ways that the Spirit is doing things like this in your midst. I wonder if we can recognize uh, even the opportunities that we have had to walk away (laughs) from God's work and we have said no. I wonder if we have um, had moments where God has reminded us by the Spirit that we are loved.